Psalm 1. So if you'll please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. I believe it's on page 448. And we're beginning a, a, a summer, summer sermon series on the Psalms, Psalms 1 through 12 today. And these Psalms were originally sung. And that was a beautiful presentation of Psalm 1. But let's now, if you'll follow along as I read God's holy, inerrant, authoritative word to us this morning, Psalm 1, the first psalm of the Psalter. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active. And by your spirit, would you work it down deep into our hearts, that we would know this truth, that we would be like this tree planted by streams of water, rooted in your word, night and day. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Perhaps one of the more striking things that we find in all of scripture is this idea that there are two ways to live. There are two paths to take. Uh, we, we find this truth throughout the scriptures uh, described to us in various forms in many different ways. Here in Psalm 1, we find these two ways described as those who seek righteousness or those who walk in the ways of the wicked. Uh, in Romans, we, we find that there are those who pursue godliness with their lives and there are those who pursue ungodly ways. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus very vividly describes this as the narrow way that leads to righteousness or the wide path that leads to destruction. The Apostle Paul states in Ephesians and in Romans that there are two types of people, two ways to live. There are those who are spiritually alive in Christ and there are those who are dead in their sins. In other places, we might find that there are those who were born again, and there are those who are not. In our modern vernacular, we might say there are those who are living the Christian life, and then there are those who are only living for themselves. You get the point. There are two ways to live. There are two paths in front of us. What is even more troubling, though, that in our postmodern society, we somehow have gotten away from these categorical distinctions that the scriptures give us. If you tell the modern man that there are two ways to live, he might say, what two ways? What are you talking about? 
And then there are those who say, well, actually, we live in a post-postmodern society. And these folks would say, I categorically deny that there is a way at all. Very confusing times we live in. But Psalm 1 is going to help us sort out all this nonsense. Psalm 1 is going to give us wisdom to help us understand these ways that God has called us to. And so Psalm 1 is Psalm 1 for a reason. It's an introduction to the entire Psalter, all 150 of them. And Psalm 1 is what some might call a wisdom song. It's laying for us the path of wisdom. This is what wisdom is. And the scriptures constantly say, especially in the wisdom literature, get wisdom. Know wisdom. Seek wisdom. And it puts before us here very wisely the most important thing in life that we must understand here that there are two ways to live. Or we'll see as we make our way through this psalm, there are actually two destinies. There are two truths about the lives of all people, of all places, of all time. There is the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked, the psalm says. And again, Jesus makes this crystal clear in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, enter by the narrow gate. There's a narrow way that we must follow, a narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. He says, but for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Really what this psalm is boiling it all down to, and what we're going to dive into here more in a minute, is do do you want to be happy? Is being happy important to you? Or to put it in biblical terms, do you want to be blessed? Do you want to know blessing? If you do, then there's only one way that promises blessing. There's only one way to be truly happy. And so what this psalm is saying very clearly is that there's there's no happiness apart from God. There's no joy, there's no blessing in a life apart from God. And so nothing is more important than having a standing, the scripture says, with a con- in the congregation of the righteousness, of the righteous. So we'll see this truth taught in this psalm in three different ways. First, a man is blessed by what he does. Second, a man is blessed by what he is like. And third, a man is blessed by where he is going. So repeat that real quick for those of you taking notes. A man is blessed by what he does. A man is blessed by what he is like. And a man is blessed by where he is going. And in each of these truths, we'll see this principle of these two ways laid out before us. Before we go any further, let me just make a comment here. And this is important for us to understand, especially in the scriptures. When I say blessed is the man, this is not talking to men only. This is talking to the people of God, especially those who would seek to be godly. This is for men and women and children. This is for all of mankind. But we'll stick with the the masculine uh, pronouns here to understand what the Scripture is saying. This is for all of us. So first and foremost, a a man is blessed by what he does. Look there in verses 1 and 2. To be blessed means to be divinely favored. It means to be happy, because biblically happy. You found happiness in God. 
Some of you may have read before from the New Living Translation, which is a, a very wonderful, beautiful, dynamic equivalent of the Scriptures. And I love the way that it starts off this psalm. It says, oh, the joys, oh, the joys, oh, oh the blessing, oh, the happiness is the man who, who does these things. And this is the same way our, our Savior begins his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He starts off with the Beatitudes, the, the blessings for God's people. And Psalm 1 is going to show us that the one who experiences blessing from God, is blessed by what they, what they do not do, so it puts it in the negative, but also blessed by what they do. It'll put it in the positive. So we have the, the negative and the positive here of the way we are blessed. The righteous man who is blessed is described here negatively first by what he shuns, what he does not do. To be truly happy, you cannot have a a neutral stance against sin and evil. You must hate it in all of its forms. And so we see here a man who is blessed, a man who knows joy in God because he shuns evil. And so there are three statements that are made to describe what a a happy person, a blessed person does to reject evil and sinfulness. Look there in verses 1. A man is blessed by not walking in the counsel of the wicked. That is, not having a mindset, not having a a way of thinking that is sinful. Secondly, a man is blessed by not standing in the way of sinners. And that doesn't mean if you see a sinner walking down the road that you stand in his way. That's not what it's talking about here. Again, it's, it's talking about practicing behavior or performing actions that are sinful, doing sinful things. And third, a man is blessed by not sitting in the seat of scoffers. In other words, the righteous do not belong with the unrighteous. They do not do or say the same things that sinners do. So what is laid before us is a path of sin here. And sinners don't normally just dive straight into sin and and evil. The path to sin is often little by little, bit by bit, a temptation here, a temptation there, and all of a sudden you may find yourself in the counsel of the wicked. And this is not the place to be. The blessed man avoids these things. He does not stand, sit, walk with the wicked. The man of God must avoid sin at all cost. This is why the psalmist is clear to say that the blessed man, the righteous man, the the happy man, he or she avoids sinful behavior, avoids sinful patterns, avoid walking in the way of the wicked. This past month, I had the privilege to go to a pastor's conference in Louisville called Together for the Gospel. There were something like nine different pastors who got up and exhorted us on living set apart in this sinful world that we live in. And one pastor, Matt Chandler, out in Texas, gave a wonderful illustration that I want to uh, use here, copy from him. He told about a documentary that he'd watched once on TV about a trainer who worked with lions. And these lions were used in various uh, maybe movie settings or commercials. 
And in one such time, these lines were uh, being filmed alongside some uh, television actors for a commercial, and the lion all of a sudden gets riled up and attacks one of the actors while they're filming the commercial. Pastor Chandler recounts uh, the documentary interviewing the trainer saying, I don't understand why he acted that way. I mean, I've known him since he was a cub. You know, I've, I've, I've trained him. I, I've told him to be docile. I mean, it's just, it's not in his nature to, to do such a thing. But it's a lion, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Lions are predators. <laughs> Lions attack people and things. And oftentimes, Pastor Chandler made this reference that Christians can treat sin sometimes like we, this trainer was trying to teach a lion, that we can train it, that we can make sin to do what we want it to do. But that's not the nature of sin, right? Sin seeks to destroy. Sin seeks to, to take away blessing. Sin seeks to rob us of our happiness. There is no blessing with those who walk or stand or sit with sin. Sin will destroy you. And so John Owen aptly said, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Blessed is the man who does not love sin. There's another important principle, I think, that we need to stop and think about here. And I really think about this this truth here for young people. Young people, if you're here, children, teenagers. The psalmist says, blessed is the man who... It's not saying to not be friendly to sinners. It's not saying don't evangelize and share the gospel with sinners. But it is saying that you're not to associate with sinners in such a way that you become like them. You become ungodly and wicked in your ways. And this is why it's so important to think about the company you keep, your friends. Who are your friends? Who are you associating with? Because we're called not to walk or stand or sit in the company of the wicked. And so this is why it's important who your friends are, and even more importantly, why you marry in the Lord. Well, one day you marry someone who loves Jesus, who knows the Lord, who is a a godly person. That is where blessing is to be found. But getting back here to the general application, a a happy person here, according to the Psalms, in a sense is countercultural. They're different from the world. They're careful about the company they keep. This is not just some good old boy mentality we're called to here, okay? This is... This is an active life, a righteous life that resists evil, that that shuns it. So the idea here is that a righteous person, a blessed person, hates even the thought of sin. So that's the negative idea of blessing that is given here about the righteous man. But then the positive side, a blessed man, a happy man, is blessed by what he does. This is so important because oftentimes we think of the Bible as just being a set of rules of don't do this, don't do that, stop this, stop that. But the Bible, the scriptures, is so much more than that because they're words of life. Because yes, the Bible does say don't do this, but it does say do this instead. 
we, that's what repentance is, right? You know, you, you shun evil. You, you, you stop doing this and you start doing something else. And so here are the words of life. The righteous man is blessed because of two activities that bring this, them immense happiness. I love that song that y'all sang because the, the chorus got back to this principle over and over that you just kept singing. Uh, uh, the, these two activities that bring happiness, that bring joy, that bring blessing to this man or this. One, they delight in the law of the Lord. And two, they meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Think about that. Delighting in God's word. Meditating on it day and night. These are these two happy activities that bring blessing. Let's expand upon that here for a minute. The first is, what is the law of the Lord that's being referred to? Again, to our modern ears, we think that when it uses the word law, that it's just talking about rules or regulations. In the church, we could say that this is simply referring to the commandments or the rules of God only, but it's so much more than that. Here, the Hebrew word uh, has a much deeper meaning for the word law here. It's that it's called Torah. So in ancient times, when a Hebrew believer would hear the word Torah, he thought one thing. It's the word of God. It's the very spoken instructions and will of God from his mouth that we have written down, that we study, and that we know. So Torah means the teaching or the instruction of the doctrine of the Lord. This is what the law of the Lord is. But second, the first time that there is a certain name for God that shows up for us in the Psalter is there in verse 2. Look there in your Bibles. I've pointed this out before, but it's, it's really important to get. This is the first time we come across the name of the Lord in the Psalms. In your English Bibles, in verse 2, it should be spelled Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord in all caps. That's not, you know, screaming the name. This is an English convention to refer to the proper name of God. It has been transliterated from Hebrew. We oftentimes pronounce it Yahweh. You may have heard that before, Yahweh. Uh, In the UK, oftentimes, especially some of the old scholars, pronounce it Jehovah. So Jehovah, or Yahweh, this is the proper name of God. And this is actually really important to take note of as we're reading the Scriptures, because it's an automatic cue for us to, when we read the Scriptures to know that this is God's personal holy name that he gave to his people. This is the name by which he revealed himself to Moses, saying that I am that I am. This is the name by which... God's people know when he says, I am your God and you are my people. I am in covenant relationship with you. So that word Lord is really a title for like that of master. But here, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. This is the God of the Bible. This is the holy words of Yahweh God that he spoke to his people. We are to know and to love. And so this blessed man, he delights in the Torah of Yahweh. What this means is this blessed man, he finds his satisfaction. He finds his delight. He finds his joy. He finds his pleasure in the word of God. 
a blessed man loves his Bible. And more practically, he finds his delight by meditating. By meditating. This is a a biblical picture of what it means to not only just hear the words of God, but but to ponder them in your heart, to think about them, to apply them to your life, to be preoccupied with them, to, for them to be a part of your spiritual daily diet. The man of God here meditates on it day and night. The old scholar William Plummer said this, he who would be truly blessed must become a student of Scripture. There is no substitute for this. God's word is able to make men wise into salvation. It is quick and powerful. Nothing so penetrates the heart of man. Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And so we find here these very distinctive two characteristics of a righteous person versus an evil person. A child of God, a Christian does things that are distinctively Christian, things that make him happy, things that bring him joy. And that chiefly here is referred to reflecting on the Word of God and delighting in it, loving your Bibles. And so I just ask you, are are you doing this? Is this important to you? Is the Word of God your delight? I know for me personally, I cannot be the man that God has called me to be. I cannot be the husband, the father, the pastor that God has called me to be without meditating on the Word of God day and night. I know that I cannot keep my eyes fixed upon Jesus and His gospel without the Word of God. The blessing is promised for those who meditate on it day and night. And the question that we must all face, it's a hard question, but it's one we need to deal with, we need to wrestle with. If you're not meditating on the Word of God, then what are you meditating on? What is consuming your your heart and your mind all the day long? Is it your phone? Is it your problems? Is it just yourself? All the time, me, me, me. I know that I struggle with these things. And I know I can find myself meditating and pondering these things. But it's the love of the Word of God, a love for our Bibles, that should be the basis of our happiness. It's it's spending time in the Word of God that helps us take our minds off of these other things and fixing our eyes on Jesus. We need to check ourselves on these things because all of a sudden we may find ourselves walking in the counsel of the wicked if we're not keeping God's word before us. Second, though, we have a picture of what a blessed man is like. Look there in verses 3 through 4. A blessed man is like something. A happy man, a person who knows joy, is described as being like a tree planted by streams of water, and is bearing fruit. What a, what a vivid picture here of a righteous man, it's something that we can understand very clearly here, surrounded by trees, tall and beautiful and thick and healthy, 
Think about this. This righteous man, this blessed man, he's, he's rooted. He's got good, strong roots. They're, they're well-nourished. They're resistant to drought. It's a fruit-bearing tree. This is all really, really good stuff, stuff we need. How is it that a godly person can be this happy? It's because they're not looking for their happiness from anything this world can offer. They're not looking for happiness from the counsel of the wicked. They're not looking for happiness from the quick fixes of happiness that sin oftentimes may offer. But they are delighting in the law of the Lord. The Torah of Yahweh, his word, is what keeps them rooted and grounded and budding and sprouting a strong tree. But not the wicked. The wicked are not even a scrub tree that grows in the desert. The wicked are described as that of chaff. And you got to remember that this is an agrarian society that, that Scripture is oftentimes speaking to in its first audience. And the most worthless thing that the psalmist could think of was chaff. Okay, so what is, what is chaff? So chaff is, is the husk that surrounds uh, grains, specifically grains of, of wheat. And so in ancient times, and, and there's a modern way to do this as, as well, they would take the, the grain up to the threshing floor, oftentimes up on a hill, a hill where, uh, where the wind would be blowing a little bit. And they would, they would winnow, winnow the grain, the, the wheat, throw it up in the air, so that the husk would break off the grains and the wind would blow the chaff away. So it would blow away and just go away and be nothing. Oftentimes it would be gathered up, swept off to the side, and there were no practical uses for it. And so oftentimes it would simply be burned. It's worthless. It has no use. And actually the New Testament, Jesus describes the wicked being like chaff that will be burned. And so here we have a very stark contrast, again, of these two ways. So which are you, a tree or a chaff? I pray that we would all seek the blessing of a tree. And so to be this tree, we need to be watered. When I was 19 years old, my, one of my doctors said, look, your sinuses are one of the worst we've ever seen. You need help. You need surgery. We're going to take out your tonsils, your adenoids, and anything else we could remove from you to help you breathe. Sounds good, except for when you're 19, you're technically, physically an adult, and having your tonsils out is awful. Don't do it. <laughs> it was very painful. So one of my relatives came and visited me in the hospital. You had to stay in the hospital two or three days back then, and brought me a plant. It was a peace lily. Uh, many of you may have these in your homes, beautiful green leaves with white uh, flowers that grow up. And so I said, hey, I'm going to take that back to college and put that in uh, my apartment with four, three other guys. It was bland and thought, hey, a plant should spruce up the place. So I brought the plant and my roommates were like, what, what are you doing with that plant? Got this plant from my surgery. It's a peace lily. Oh, that thing won't live. We can't take care of anything in this apartment. I said, no, it'll be fine. We'll water it. It'll be nice. It'll, be, it'll help 
spruce up our apartment. Well, sure enough, a few weeks went by, tests, studying, busyness. That plant was dead. I mean, it was just laid over, and it was actually kind of stinking. And my roommate said, please throw that thing away. We don't need that in here. And I said, no, nah, let's put some water on it. It'll, it'll be fine. So we watered it. You're supposed to water plants, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Watered it, and, and it, it came back to life. It was amazing. It was like, I cannot believe this. It's water. You're supposed to water plants. Well, that happened a couple of times. And one time it got so bad, I mean, that plant was dead. I mean, it was just like, throw it away. So I cut all the stems and leaves off, and I watered it. And it, that plant came back to life. So there's, there's a lot of sermon illustrations I'm going to use with that plant. <laughs> but one is this. <laughs> Plants need to be watered. And if we want to be like a tree planted by streams of water, delighting in the law of the Lord, day and night, having the word of God feeding and nourishing us so that we have this joy this blessing, this rootedness, this fruitfulness. Otherwise, might as well throw the plant away, right? Like chaff that represents rootlessness, worthlessness, nothingness. Believers are, are sustained, are, are rooted in the Word of God and happy when we are planted in God's Word. This is how Jesus sustains us. This is how we keep our eyes fixed upon him. And we need the the divine grace of God, the Holy Spirit of God to come and to help us be rooted in the law of the Lord. Last, a man is blessed by where he is going. Look there in verses 5 through 6. The final two ways paradigm is described by the eternal destiny of all people. You will either be in the congregation of the righteous or you will perish with the wicked in judgment before your maker. And what is referred to here as the judgment is talking about the final judgment when all of God's people, all that have ever lived will stand before God and be judged. And so Psalm 1 actually is painting a very serious and solemn tone for us here. As if to say, life is not a game. Eternal destiny is on the line here. For those who have themselves, who find themselves in the counsel of the wicked, there is no hope. There is no confidence. There is no support in that last day. They will cry out for help and no one will come. So it's a solemn question that we need to ask here. Are we ready for the judgment? How can you be comforted by this terrible and and awful prospect of being judged before God? The only way to be comforted, the only way to find comfort, is by the fact that you are either known by God or not known. Are you known by God? The only way to be known by Yahweh God is to look to the one who said he is Yahweh God. The one who said before Abraham was, I am. The one who lived and who died and who rose again. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who are in him, 
We will be judged by him. And that's good news because our judge is our savior. But for those who do not know him, they will perish. Jesus was very clear from this in John 3.16 through 18. We, we all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through the world we might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. That is Jesus. So this is the stark reality of scripture here. There will be a a perfect and final separation in the judgment. There will not be anyone left in between. There are only two ways, two sides, two destinies. Yes, here on earth, we all congregate together. We go to the same places. We do the same things. We work in the same locations. But in the judgment, it will not be so. Jesus Christ is the only hope for perishing sinners. Do you know him? Is he your Lord? If not, turn to faith in him. This is serious business here in Psalm 1. This is the reason why it's Psalm 1. It's here to set before us the tone and the tenor of what what life is all about. These are the most important things. Think about how the first word, it starts with blessing, but it ends with perishing. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to know blessing? Then cultivate a life of righteousness and love for the Lord through his word. Meditate on it day and night. Don't have in your mind that this meditating on it day and night is like this two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening. Chances are you probably don't have time for that. But think of it just as a few minutes every morning, every evening, basking in the truth and the joy and the comfort from God's word. If you don't even know where to start, use this bulletin. Take this thing home and use it as a guide to spend time in God's Word, thinking about what was said here today, rereading what we read before. Use Psalms, the Psalms. Read one a day. Think about them. Meditate on them day and night. But ultimately, do you want to know everlasting life and not perish? Then seek Jesus. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day meditate on the righteousness of Christ that has been credited to you and know this love that surpasses all understanding. May God help us to be this blessed man. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we sang earlier, we know that oftentimes we gather dust around us, things from this world, things from this life that we're looking to bring a satisfaction, but, but none of those things bring eternal satisfaction. Only Jesus can do that. Only his life-giving words, only he can satisfy So, Lord, help us to love the things that you have told us to love. Help us to delight in your word, for there we find our Savior, the author, perfecter of our faith, the lover of our souls. 
Lord, help us to know him and be satisfied. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.